Bibles, if you will, turn to Mark chapter number 5. Mark chapter number 5. And uh, I don't know who's running in the booth. Uh, Mac, if you'll go back um, to the song that we sang, Glorious Day. And I just want to emphasize, uh, Brother Tim emphasized the song previous. Uh, go to that third verse, Mac, uh, if you can find that uh, in Glorious Day. Um, one more verse back, one more verse back. Um, there you go. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on a tree, suffering anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sins. My, there it is, my Redeemer is he. And I hope that you can say this morning with certainty that you have chosen Jesus to be your Redeemer. Because the very next line of that song, I'm sorry, Mac, uh, the very next line of that song, uh, bouncing back and forth, uh, says, The hands that healed nations stretch out on a tree. They took the nails for me. For me. I say, Pastor, why do you get so excited? And why is everybody so excited when you come to church and they sing these songs and people raise their hands and sing out loud? Because he did all of that for us. That's why we get so excited. That's why when we sing, I choose Jesus, hey, it's not just the fact that we chose him. It's the fact that he chose us. He chose us. He didn't have to, by the way. He could have said, you know what? Y'all are on your own. You're in the mess you made. Good luck. And we would have been lost without hope. But because Jesus did come, because he came, then Christ came. Taking all of my shame and guilt. That's why we get so excited about singing about Jesus. Because he is everything and every part of who he claimed to be. He is our Savior. And I hope that he is your Savior to do today. Mark chapter number 5. Uh, as you're already turning there and by now, uh, Mark chapter number 5, second book in the New Testament. Uh, just a point of emphasis, a reminder, uh, John's already mentioned this morning, we have a uh, soft fire drill this morning for our kids' wing. And so you, as a parent, you should have received multiple communication points uh, over the last several weeks. We've been talking about this for weeks, uh, emphasizing it. It'll take place at the very end of our service. You're still going to pick up your child the same place that you would normally, uh, same class and safe house, uh, same nursery locations, all that. Uh, but you guys understand, you know, even with school, they try to teach them to prepare them to be ready in the event of uh, something catastrophic would take place. So we're just trying to make sure that we're doing our due diligence to make sure that our children know what to do. We'll have a, a fire drill for adults sometime in the near future, and we'll point out those exit points, show you how to get out, show you how we would dismiss. Uh, and I know some, some people say, well, Pastor, you know, I, I want to go and see it. That's fine. Uh, but everybody else, don't move. Don't move, okay? Uh, so if you slide out during the invitation this morning, our and I'm going ahead and tell you right now, I love you. Hope you still love us after today. Uh, but if you don't have a child, our ushers may say in the lobby, please go back to your seat, okay? So today is not the, the day to leave during invitation. Just letting you know now. Uh, so, uh, and I hope that you'll understand that and appreciate that's why we're doing this, okay? Uh, trying to make sure that we are uh, ready. One more thing, just a note, and then we'll jump right into Mark 5. Uh, we had missions conference several weeks ago. 
began taking up our missions commitment pledges. And uh, today is the last day to receive those. So if you have one tucked in your Bible and uh, you have not yet turned it in, you can drop it into the brand new giving receptacles that are in the back. Maybe you saw them on the way in. Uh, They're there. Several people have said, you know, Pastor, how do I give an offering or where do I give? There are brand new boxes in the back. There are black stands about this tall and I have a purple piece of paper talking about ways to give. They're in the back on the way in and on the way out. You may see one in the lobby from time to time, Uh, but that's where they are. That's how we give and we don't emphasize that because there is an expectation of God's people that we give out of love, not out of obligation. Uh, So if you have any questions, you come see us. Uh, But I did want to highlight today is the last day we'll be receiving those commitments. Have you ever experienced a storm in your life? I mean, last week we talked about the storm that the disciples went through. And maybe you come out of a storm and everything's going great only to realize that you are getting sucked back into another storm. Maybe it's the exact same storm that you just came out of. And you feel like you just can't break free from that. I'm still something from the past is holding on to me or maybe it's an addiction or uh, something uh, pulling you down that uh, you struggle with day in day out you've heard the expression when it rains it what pours Uh, I've heard people say you know bad things come in threes and I've seen that coincidentally happen and then sometimes it doesn't work out that way but the disciples just saw God's power on display on the sea of Galilee while he calmed the storm, you know, they, they knew all these things. And while he might not have said anything about who he claimed to be in the end of Mark chapter number 4, they knew who he was because he showed who he was. When they said, what manner of man is this? Who else can speak peace in the middle of a storm? And immediately there is calm. They said, this has to be God. He has to be who he said he was. They were convinced at this point they knew it. But while they were all excited to be on the shore, finally they make it back to the shore out of that storm, they get interrupted. They think, man, we're just going to go over here to this region and minister. And they're faced with an evil immediately upon arriving to the shore that they were not expecting. Let's look at Mark chapter number 5. In verse number 1, the Bible says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, the Sea of Galilee. Remember we talked about that last week. 13 miles long, 8 miles across. They've traveled 5 to 6 miles. And as they get there, as they dock the boat, verse 2, And when he was come out of the ship, Jesus steps down. Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now, we understand this is a man who is demon-possessed. All right, just plain and simple. We'll talk about it in a moment. Demon-possessed, unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. He lived in the cemetery. That's creepy. He lived among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Now think about this. This is a guy who has supernatural strength, who could not be bound. Look at verse number 4. Because that he had been often bound. Many people had tried. Let's chain this guy up. Let's tie him up. Let's make sure that he doesn't harm anyone, scare anyone. What happened? And the chains had been plucked asunder by him. This is not a Harry Houdini magic trick. This is supernatural strength that isn't coming from above. It's coming from below. Supernatural strength. And the fetters, those locks, broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. This is supernatural forces 
going on. And they are getting ready to have a clash of titans right here in Mark chapter number 5. So let's, let's pray and then we'll dive right in. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for how you have already shown this morning that you are the chain breaker. You are the one who dispels the storm, immediately speaking peace to our lives. But Lord, there are times in our lives where we find ourselves right back in the middle of another storm or right back in the same storm we just got out of. Lord, help us to see this morning how the disciples respond, how these people respond, and how we too can see peace in the middle of our storms because we know that you are with us. Lord, we choose Jesus today. Lord, help us to live like it. Please speak to my heart. Cleanse me of sin unconfessed that may be hindering me from preaching your word. Please bless our time. Speak to us. If there's someone here today that is in a storm, please speak peace to them. If there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, they've not gotten that settled, have that assurance of salvation, please draw them to yourself today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down number one, the shock. Excuse me, the reality. The reality. We'll go there first. The reality. The very next morning after this evening of turmoil, evening of turmoil, this storm, they're faced with a demon. A demon. Now, we know that this man is housing that demon, but demonic forces are at play here. They're in the country of the Gadarenes, or as it's known today, the Gergesenes. If you look on a map, you see Gergesa on a map. This is where they are on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. and Everything was calm on the water. Once they just kind of coasted in, man, this is great. Everything's wonderful. And Jesus just calmed the storm. Woohoo! And immediately, they're in another storm. Immediately, they face off against Satan's forces, which leads to their shock. And number one, the shock. Imagine getting the boat set and all of a sudden you're faced with evil. They're already going to an uncomfortable place. This is a Gentile area. There's already some cultural battles that they're facing in their own mind. Jesus had already put them in an unfavorable place, an uncomfortable region, an unfavorable place by being in the boat knowing that a storm was coming. But now they're faced with an unthinkable evil. They had seen demon-possessed people before. They had heard about it before, but now they're face-to-face with this man. This day's not starting very well. I mean, they just fought for their lives in the storm last night, and all of a sudden their day is starting bad. Anybody ever had a bad day? Uh, The man is possessed by demons. And this is not a fairy tale, by the way. This is a very real story. And may I say, it's still very real today. John MacArthur said, demon possession is a condition in which one or more demons inhabits the body of a human being and they can at will control that being. This is a person who is completely bound, completely controlled by demonic forces. Now, uh, let me add right here, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 and 12 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the trickery of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is a spiritual battle that is being waged today that you and I cannot see, but is very real. 
is very real in our lives. And for those who are saved, who have Jesus residing in their lives, who name the name of Christ, it is not possibly, biblically, not possible for you to be inhabited by a demon because the Holy Spirit already takes up residence with us. But make no mistake, Satan's presence is all around us. It's all around us. Everywhere we look, Melvin Tinker said, nowhere in the New Testament are believers ever depicted as living in servile fear of demons because that is precisely the state from which they have been delivered by the gospel. The gospel sets us free, disconnects that connection point to Satan and his forces. That's why we face so many problems in our world today as believers. That's why there's such an opposition of spiritual forces against the church waging war. That's why the world looks at us and says they're non-essential. Because there is a war raging that you and I cannot see the fight But we see the effect of the fight. Make no mistake, it is real. We see their shock. They're immediately faced with this demon-possessed man. But then number two, we see his state. The Bible is very clear, very descriptive of what's going on with this man. But look at verse number five. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying And cutting himself with stones. Now, we saw the effect of the demon in verse 3 and 4. This is the man in verse 5. Night and day in the mountains, crying. I can't break free. I can't get loose of this. I can't do anything to remedy this situation. And maybe that's where you are today. Pastor, I've tried counseling, I've tried all these things, I've tried all these avenues, I've talked to people, I've I've done all of the right things, but I'm still in bondage. Crying, he took it a step further, cutting himself with stones. We know today in our culture, self-mutilation is a thing. Hurting yourself, calming yourself, cutting yourself, self-mutilation is a thing Can I just tell you exactly where that thing comes from? It's not from heaven. It's from hell. It is demon, not necessarily possession, whereas that may be the case, but oppression is real. The only way that I can get a release is to harm myself. That's where this man is. He lives in the tombs. For the Jews to be around dead people uh, made them ceremonially unclean, which was already troublesome enough. They're living in opposition to the way they've lived their entire lives, living around these dead things. And there's a lot of infatuation with death in our culture today. I can tell you where that comes from, too. That's not from heaven. All of these words pertain unto life. And unto godliness, not death and wickedness. It's coming from Satan and his forces. But the people of the community tried to bind him, tried to chain him, tried to control him. And he snapped them off. Could not be tamed. This is the deplorable condition. But this is also a picture of who you and I were before Christ. A perfect picture. We were bound. And the only way we could be delivered from these chains was Jesus. The only way. You're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm just bound and I can't break free. 
You can try everything. But until you try Jesus and you receive him as your personal Savior, nothing will change. Nothing will change. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That was this man, the ungodly. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth, proved his love toward us in the while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Jesus accomplished what only he could. Only a perfect sacrifice could pay for our sin. Uh, verse 9 through 11, that same chapter. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. He paid the sacrifice for our sin. But that payment is not applicable to you unless you receive what he's done for you. See, you and I can know everything there is to know about Jesus. But until we come to Jesus and accept him for who he is and what he did, there is no atonement. We know without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But can I say, without the receiving of Jesus as your Savior, there is no salvation from sin. You have to have a Savior. This man was helpless. Hopeless. No escape. Just like we were until he encountered Jesus. And it's the exact same thing today. You may be like this man, looking around, hopeless, helpless, no escape, feeling like you can't break three. But here's the thing. The reality is that Jesus is the Savior. Whether you accept him or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you ever confess it or not, does not change the truth. He is the Savior. He is the Savior. We see the reality, but then number two, we see the recognition the recognition in verse 6 through 13, this man may have lived in the mountains, but something, something, get this church, don't miss it, something drew him to the water. Something drew him to the water. Look at verse number 6. We see, number one, who he was. Who he was. But when he saw Jesus, I love the fact that it doesn't say when he saw the disciples. The disciples were in the background. By the way, that's the way it's supposed to be today. When people look at our lives, they should see Jesus. I love in the book of Acts when they talked about Peter and John. We, we know that these are unlearned and ignorant men. They're dumb as a box of rocks. But they took knowledge of them. Why? Because they knew they had been with Jesus. Can people look at your life and see that you've been with Jesus? Can people look at your testimony and the way that you live and the way that you operate from day to day and week to week and see Jesus all over? Can they see His fingerprints on your life? People should be able to look and tell, that person's been with Jesus. I can see it all over them. And I'm convinced that there are many people who know about Jesus but don't fully grasp who He was. We see that C.S. Lewis said, A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else the devil of hell. And you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. 
You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us and he did not intend to. He is God. Is God. Say, Pastor, how do you know? Oh, that's very simple. You ask him how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. He is the only one, the only God who desires to reside within us. In us. You see all these different religions in the world today? That man, you got to go somewhere, you got to do something, you got to do all this stuff, you got this litany of lists that you got to keep. And God cuts through all that and Jesus says, hey, I want to come and live in you. In you. That's what makes him different. Pastor, how do you know? Because he gave us his word on it. And everything he said is true. Is true. You look at all the different religions of the world today, we won't take time. If you want a meeting after this service, you come see me, we'll schedule it. But all the religions of the world whose world leaders wrote their own book, there's fallacies and faults and failures and errors, all this stuff. This book doesn't lie. How is that possible? Because the one who wrote it can't lie. Titus chapter 1 verse 2, God which cannot lie, not doesn't lie, is incapable of lying. We see 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. John 5, 22, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's not given up one bit of his authority in thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and he's not getting ready to. He is God, this man came running and did exactly what we're to do. What did he do? In verse number 6, he saw Jesus afar off and he ran and worshipped him. Why is a demon falling at this random dude's feet and worshipping him? It's very, very simple. That random dude was God himself. And if the demons recognize it, If the demons know his authority, then why don't we recognize his authority? If the demons see him and they know who he is, then shouldn't we respond to who he is? We see that he mentions in verse number 7, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? Most High God was an ancient title used by Jews and Gentiles to identify the one true and living God of Israel and distinguish him from all other idols and false religion and false gods. He said the Most High God. He recognized who Jesus was. And you have a demon announcing to all these people, that's God's son. That just doesn't happen. This is God at work. And and just, by the way, we've seen God at work this morning. He still works. We just see it on display in his pages. We see who he was. Number two, we see what he did. Verse number 8 through 10. For he said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. This man speaks to Jesus, and in verse number 9, he says, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are 
many. This is not just one demon in this guy. This is thousands of demons. A Roman legion was 6,000 soldiers. This guy has thousands of demons residing in his body, controlling him. No wonder he's so powerful. No wonder he's so uh, uncontrollable, untamable. But yet we find thousands of demons kneeling before Jesus. Hey, it doesn't matter what you have going on in your life today. It doesn't matter the forces that you face when you go to work tomorrow. It doesn't matter the things that you fight on a day-to-day basis. Let me tell you something. Everything bows to Him. Everything bows before Him. We see that Jesus says immediately, come out of this man. Come out of this man. Now, it, they could have toyed with the man and, and tried to uh, oppress him even more, but they could not refuse Jesus. Jesus speaks. They were already worshiping him. And, and just as a side point, James chapter 2 and verse number 19 says, the devils believe and they tremble at his presence. So there is a very real recognition of who he is. But before leaving the man, they asked a question. Look at verse number 10. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. This demon, this speaking, this spokesperson says, Jesus, can we have your permission? I love this. Demons have to ask. Did you get that? Demons have to ask. Remember when Satan came before the Lord in Job chapter 1? What did he have to do to oppress Job? He had to ask. What does that tell me? It tells me that the things that we encounter in our life, permission has to be sought for them to take place. That means, hey church, I hope that y'all are getting this. Because this changes your thinking when it comes to storms. Every storm that I face in my life is under His control. Because if He approved it, and He signed off on it, and He gave the limitations of the storm, You get that? He gave the parameters of the storm. In Job's life, hey, you can touch everything around him, but you don't touch him. What did Satan do? Everything that God said. When he came back, he said, you can touch him, but leave everything out. You can't take his life. What does Satan do? Only what God says. It's still that way today, by the way. He only does what God says. Because he is not greater. Greater is he that's in you. Than he that's in the world. But we see Jesus asked this question right in the middle What is thy name? Now we know Jesus doesn't ask a question he doesn't already know the answer to. But Jesus knew this was, who this was, but he wanted the demon to answer and recognize who he was. You remember in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 32, verse 26, when Jacob is wrestling against this soldier of the Lord, this angel. I personally believe that this is Jesus in the flesh, a pre-incarnate vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. What question does this angel ask Jacob in Genesis 32, verse 27? He says, what is thy name? Jacob, up to this point in his life, has done about everything he can wrong. Wrong. Is on the run from his brother because he swindled his brother. And thinks his brother's going to kill him, so he's on the run. 
Why does the angel ask Jacob what his name was? Because the angel, Jesus, wanted Jacob to recognize what his name was. You know what Jacob means? Trickster. Supplanter. Deceiver. That's what his name mentioned. He wanted it to come out of Jacob's mouth. You know, before you receive Christ as your personal Savior, there has to be a realization of who you are. You have to recognize who you are. What is your name? Well, pastor, I'm successful. I'm wealthy. I have a title. I have a position. Wrong answer. What is your name? You know who you and I are? Sinners. That's our name. The Bible gives us some other names, too. Wicked. Ungodly. Unrighteous. Vile. That's what the Bible calls us. So, literally, that's what God calls us. But, you're washed. But you're sanctified. 1 Corinthians. Hey, as such were some of you. I love it. We have been cleansed. We've been redeemed. But sometimes, we need to remember who we are. Psalm 103, verse 14. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. We're nothing without him. What's your name? Where is your identity found? We're known by what we do. Hey, what do you do for a living? And typically, there's no questions beyond that. Well, I'm a plumber. Oh, you know, yeah, I don't need to ask questions. Uh, you know, I, I work in politics, or I do this, or I'm an electrician. Okay, well, and people assign us an identity based on what we do. But the Bible gives us an identity based on whose we are. It's not about what we do. It's whose we are. And we're his. But ye are washed. He doesn't look at us when we receive Christ as our personal Savior. He doesn't see the past. He sees the potential. We are washed. We're sanctified. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. He was a demon-possessed Man, but how's it going to end? Look at verse 11 through 13. We see where they went. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out, entered the swine. The herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. Now think about it. They asked permission. And isn't it interesting that the demon's first choice after man was pigs. The first choice. Hey, there's some pigs over there. It wasn't, hey, what next person can we oppress? There's pigs right there. I, I recognize they didn't call out the people who were overseeing the pigs. But there's some pigs over there. And what does Jesus do? He gives them permission. He could have sent them anywhere, yet he told them exactly where to go. Why? Why did he do that? We'll talk about that in just a minute. But people around would know what had happened. Know that something radical. The end result, verse 13, the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea and were choked in the sea. I won't make the suicide uh, comparison here, but that's, that's what happened. Okay, uh, When we think about That's where we were. 
the end result. Where was the path that we were on before Jesus? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, separation from God. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name among, under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. It is Jesus alone for salvation. But we see this reality, what happened. We see that he recognized this recognition who Jesus was. And then we see, lastly, this morning, the radical change. All these things have transpired. This man has been redeemed and cleansed from this demon. All of a sudden, all these swine are floating all over this body of water, the sea. What happens after that? With all these people standing by, what's taking place? Number one, we see the story they told. The story they told. These keepers, look at verse 14. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. These, re- these keepers ran. Share the news. Isn't it something that their message was the same message that the disciples did in John chapter 1 and verse 46? What did they say? Hey, you got to go and see that. You got to go and see this guy, what he's done. What did the disciples say? Philip saith unto Nathaniel, Come and see. Come and see. Never man spake like this man. He has authority like none other. Come and see. It's the same thing that we're supposed to do. Come and see. Vance Havner said the only way to meet the modern demonstration demonstration of the powers of darkness is by a demonstration of the power of God. God's power on display. The story they told, come and see. But then number two, we see the Savior they were terrified of. Verse 15, and they come to see Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion, here it is, sitting. What was he doing all the time? Before that, ah, running around everywhere. Ah, ah, crying. Couldn't he bound? Running around. Where is he now? He's sitting. This is abnormal. Hey, isn't that the guy who's been terrorizing our town? What in the world's happened to him? Sitting and clothed. That's a blessing. <laughs> Pastor, did you see what they were wearing? I'm glad they were wearing something. They had clothes on, which is contrast to this guy. He's clothed. There's the change. And in his right mind. No more demon possession. No more oppression. No more running around screaming, crying. No more cutting himself with stones. He's sitting clothed and in his right mind. What is their response? And they were afraid. Hey, something has happened here. Something's going on. What's wrong? Verse 16, And they that saw it told them how it befell to him. It was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. Verse 17, And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. You know what? We don't understand this. But we won't want to know. Hey, we don't want to know the forces. We just know that we don't like this. This makes us uncomfortable. Just by the way, when you come to Jesus... Be ready to be uncomfortable. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself daily and take up his cross and follow me. That's uncomfortable. 
Be ready for the uncomfortable. This man, this is the work of God. This, this was Psalm 118, 23. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous. That's what was on display. The man could have sat and sung Psalm 34, verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Could have done that. Jim Cimbala said, the work of God can only be carried on by the power of God. The church is a spiritual organism fighting spiritual battles. Only spiritual power can make it perform as God intended. God is at work. You would think that this would encourage the people. Man, somebody that you've been praying for for years, they get saved, they come to Christ, they come to church, and you're excited. And everybody's like, yeah, you should probably leave. Uh, We don't do that here. Hey, if people can't come in here and feel like God is drawing them and they need to be here, what in the world are we doing? Say, Pastor, my my neighbor came who's who's not saved and they're without Christ. And man, they were so uncomfortable. Good. Because when we're face to face with Jesus and we see who we are, who we really are, we should be uncomfortable. We get to come into the presence of a holy, thrice God. There should be some uncomfortability. We shouldn't just come in and be like, woohoo, yeah, everything's good in my life, woo! We ought to come in and fall on our face and say, God, thank you for even allowing me to come into your presence. Because I know who I am. What was the preacher who said, you know, if you knew me like I knew me, you wouldn't come and listen to me preach. But if I knew you like you know you, I wouldn't waste my time. That was free. But this is the work of God. And church, hey, this is not tooting our own horn. But the fact that God shows up. That God works. I I hope you realize that doesn't happen everywhere. There are some churches that have Ichabod over the door. The glory of the Lord has departed. Yeah, yeah, we used to see God work 50 years ago. Yeah, five years ago we used to see God work. We get to see God work every week. Don't ever take it for granted. I was in a church this past week. And I walked by the baptistry, and the baptistry was empty, dry. I'm not picking on a church. I'm just saying we ought to go to a place where we see hope, we see life, where we walk in and we expect God to do something, not just hope that He will. Hey, I walked in this morning expecting God to work. I don't know about you, but I come to church every single week saying, God, if you don't work in anybody else, You work in me. Do something in me. Because I know exactly what I am. I know that I'm wicked. I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm glad that Jesus in love reached down. There was no reaching up. He had to come all the way down to save me. And we should never get over that. We should never get over the fact that Jesus loves us and came 
and died that death that we deserve. And this is not emotionalism. This is recognizing the great cost that Jesus paid for our sin. We should never get over that. Say, Pastor, I'm not a crier. That's fine. You don't have to be. But you should always remember the debt that Jesus went to. See, there are no big sinners and little sinners. There's just sinners. But we have a great Savior who loves sinners. Lastly, we see the submission to his task. Verse 18 through 20. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. I love this. This guy says, Jesus, where are you going? I have Don't leave me. I just met you. Don't leave me. And he begs him, verse 19, begs him, Lord, let me come. Let me follow you. Let me come. What does Jesus do? Verse 19. Howbeit, contrast, Jesus suffered him not. Hey, you can't come. How crushing. He's just been redeemed. He's just been set free. And Jesus says you can't come, but there's a reason. See, when Jesus says no, there's a greater yes. When Jesus says no, it's for a reason. Did this exact same thing. What does he say? Suffered him not, but said, go home to thy friends. And tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee. And it had compassion on thee. Now, you would think this guy would say, and I know my time's over. And I need to leave. But you would think this guy would say, well, fooey on you, Jesus. I don't need you either. That's how we would respond, isn't it? But what what does he do? He says, he leaves. And began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Hey, if he were to go with Jesus, he wouldn't have the testimony. Why? Because people didn't know him. But the fact that he was known at home is why it was so impactful for him to stay. Pastor, you know, I I want my life to be so much better than it is. It would be better if I had a better job and a better position and a better title and had more influence. I could be so much more effective in his kingdom. And the Lord says, no, you need to stay. Because you'll have a greater witness where you are right now than if I were to move you somewhere else. Hey, church, bloom where you're planted Don't be trying to transplant yourself somewhere else. Bloom where you're planted. This man made it his life mission to tell other people about Jesus. How about you today? Is it your life mission to share Jesus with other people? Matthew 5 verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Hey, can people look at your life and see Jesus? Hey, that storm that we're getting sucked back into... Why is that happening, God? That's not fair. But remember, he brought those disciples on purpose to see this man converted. They went through a storm. 
went through another storm. Why? So that they could see God's power on display. Why does God have you in the storm you're in right now? So that you can see his power on display. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Eyes open. Always watching. So that we can see his hand at work. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. God is working. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I, I don't know that my sins have been forgiven. If I died today, I don't know that I would go to heaven. Maybe that's your story. Maybe that's your testimony. I don't know. And if I died today, I'm not sure. Maybe that's you. I, I'd like to be your friend today and I'd like to pray for you. I'm not going to come and talk to you, send somebody to hunt you down after service. I want to genuinely pray for you. Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved, but would you just pray for me? I don't, I don't know that Jesus set me free. I don't know. I don't have that assurance, that confidence like you have. Would you pray for me? Is that you this morning? Would you simply slip up your hand and say, Pastor, while everyone's, not, while everyone's head's bowed, eyes are closed, I don't want to be embarrassed, would, would, would you pray for me? Pastor, pray for me. I don't know. If I died, I'd be on my way to heaven. I'm not convinced. Is that you? I don't want to miss you, but I do want to pray for you. Pastor, pray for me. Is that you? Is that you? I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. Don't want to miss you. Maybe you're here this morning. You say, Pastor, I'm in a storm right now. And it's tough. It's difficult. I don't know what God's doing. I don't know why I'm here. But I just want to see God work. I don't want to miss what God is doing. Hey, could I ask you just to simply acknowledge that? Say, Pastor, I'm in a storm right now. God knows I don't need to tell details to anybody. But I'm in a storm right now. And I don't want to miss what he's doing. Is that you this morning? Would you simply slip up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. Pastor, I'm in a storm right now. I haven't raised my hand yet, but I'm going to raise it right now. I'm in a storm. And God knows all the details. And maybe there's a piece of you that wonders, why in the world am I here? Like the disciples. Hey, don't miss what is ahead and what he's doing. Hey, don't miss it. The disciples could have got back in the boat and started paddling in the opposite direction. We didn't sign up for this, but they stayed. And because they stayed, because they stayed with Jesus, they got to see God's power on display. Hey, you might want to walk away. Don't walk away from him. Stay with Jesus. Pastor, how do I know where Jesus is? If you're seeing him work, that's exactly where Jesus is. Don't leave. Don't leave. Don't go anywhere else. Stay with Jesus. Where Jesus is working, that's where he is. Don't leave that place. Father, please do a work in our hearts today. Thank you for the living hope that we have in Christ. Lord, I ask that you please do a work in our hearts, our lives. Thank you so much for who you are and what you've done already. But Lord, I ask you now that you would please bless this time of invitation. For those who have raised their hand and said they don't know you as their Savior. For those who said, hey, I'm in the middle of a storm. Lord, help them to stay with you. Help them to come to you. You are that point of peace. Our anchor point. Our living hope. Lord, I ask that you please do a work that only you can do. Our personal workers are down front. If they need to speak to someone, the altar's already open. If they want to come and pray. Lord, please draw hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us, please. We're going to sing that song, Living Hope. We sang it just a little while ago. I'm going to be right down front. If you need someone to pray with you, our personal workers are in front of you and behind you. would love to pray with you. 
help you in whatever spiritual decision you need to make, whatever the Lord is telling you to do this morning, do it right now.